All right. Well, our scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we are looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1540. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it Find, their, find that their lamps are burning brightly when the bridegroom comes. As the Huguenot pastor Pierre Durand was burning at the stake because he was preaching the gospel, it was his sister Marie who became the next suspect that the French authorities would target. This teenage girl, along with 30 others, were subsequently arrested and imprisoned and locked in a tower. And for the next 38 years, Marie sat in that tower, watching her life pass her by, all for the cause of Christ. Could she have gotten out? Sure. It would have been easy. All she would have had to do is to say one word, abjure, which is the French for I renounce my faith. And each and every day in that prison, she was asked by her captors if she wanted to say that word. And yet each and every day, she refused. Slowly, as the years passed by, as her hair turned white and her skin became wrinkled, her faith only grew stronger. And it wasn't until Marie was 57 years old that those tower doors finally opened. She was 57 years old when she got to walk in the fields once again. She was 57 years old when she could once more hear the laughter of children playing. And she was 57 years old when she could once again worship her Lord 
outside those prison doors. Her freedom was a long time coming. But because of her enduring patience, she could walk through those doors knowing the joy of her Savior. For some time now, we have been going through this teaching of Jesus known as the Olivet Discourse. And if you recall, it it all began when, when Jesus prophesied the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Because of the corruption that was taking place within by the religious leaders, as well as the onset of the kingdom of heaven, which would be established by a new covenant, the house of the Lord was being made obsolete. And Christ would bring about his judgment upon that generation. A generation who would not only crucify their Messiah, but then persecute his followers as well. Destruction was imminent, and it would culminate in the tearing down of this temple. Not one stone would be left upon another. Of course, when the disciples heard this, they they had to be amazed. I mean, how could something that is so massive, so solid, be torn to the ground? But more than that, how how could this structure that was at the heart of of the Jewish faith be destroyed? What would it mean? What would it signify? And this is what what had prompted their questions when they were on the Mount of Olives. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They wanted to know both the timing of this judgment and what what type of warnings that they should be looking for in order that they might be ready. They wanted to be prepared. And in response to those questions, Jesus told them that the sign would be obvious. That when they saw the armies advancing in order to surround Jerusalem, then they should flee. But as for the timing, if you recall, Jesus did not know. And neither would they. And that is why they must keep watch. This led Jesus into a series of five parables on what it means by keeping watch. And it was in his first parable that he would establish really the other four. If you recall in this parable, we we were introduced to a homeowner and a thief. If the homeowner had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have been prepared, he would have kept watch. But instead, he was ignorant. Likewise, these disciples would not know the timing of God's judgment, and so they must be prepared. They must keep watch. And then we talked about what it means by being prepared. As disciples of Jesus, we must have a trust in his word. Not only that his words are true, but also that they have an authority over us. And so we are to follow Jesus' teachings during these times of trouble. In essence, keeping watch means keeping the faith. And then last week we looked at the, the, the second parable that Jesus gave. A parable where we saw two different attitudes that a servant can have. 
A servant can either be faithful and wise, or he can be lazy and wicked. The wise servant both honors and loves his master by beginning his work immediately. But it is the wicked servant who tells himself this. My master is staying away a long time. And that's why he is lazy. For he thinks that time is on his side. That he will never see the day when he will be held accountable. And yet his master will come on a day that he does not expect him. And an hour that he's not aware of. And it will not go well for that servant. For this servant had no love for his master. And thus no sense of urgency. And keeping watch means having a sense of urgency. And all this leads us to our passage for today, Jesus' third parable. And what we'll discover in this story is that not only do we have to have this sense of urgency, but we also must prepare ourselves for a long, long wait. You see, keeping watch requires a life of enduring patience. Let's look at our scripture. Look at verses 1 through 5. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, in order for us to fully grasp this parable, we we need to first try to understand some of the customs that came along with a first century Jewish wedding. There are questions that we must answer, like, who are these virgins? Why were they waiting for the bridegroom? And why did they need lamps to do so? First, the virgins, who were they? They were what we would now lovingly refer to as bridesmaids, right? They would have been teenage girls, close friends of the bride, and they were called virgins because they had yet to be married. Now, these these virgins were given the, the obligation of waiting with the bride in her parents' home. And it was their duty to welcome in the bridegroom upon his arrival. They were to honor this this young man as he would take those final steps to receive his bride. And as young virgins, they would have wanted to perform their task well in the hopes that they too might attract a husband. Next, why were these young women waiting for the bridegroom in the first place? You see, the the, the groom, he would be at his parents' home, where both his parents and the parents of the bride would be preparing the festivities. And let me tell you, there was a lot of preparation. For these wedding feasts could go on for days and days, if not a full week. There was food to be made and floors to be swept. There was wine to be purchased and tables to be set out. 
They needed to make sure that, that the house was not only presentable, but, but festive in nature. But there was more going on than just the preparations. For these parents would also use a chunk of that time in order to haggle with one another over the dowry. They, they would spend hours hashing out an agreeable price. But when all was said and done, when the preparations were made and when the dowry price had been established, then, then they could begin to celebrate. Of course, by that time, it was typically evening after the sun had set. And so the first meal was, was always a dinner. But instead of ringing a dinner bell, a, a herald would cry out into the streets, letting the people know that the festivities were about to begin and that the bridegroom was coming. This would begin the slow procession of the bridegroom down the streets of his village. He, along with his, his groomsmen, would walk from his parents' home to the house of the bride in order that he might receive his, right, his wife and then escort her to the wedding feast. And this is where the lamps come in. For the, the people in the community would, would line the streets, lighting the way for the bridegroom. And the role of these ten virgins was to light those final steps that the bridegroom would take in order that he might receive his beautiful bride. You see, once these bridesmaids heard the herald's shout, they needed to be ready. They needed to be ready to welcome this man. And yet, it is in this parable of our Lord that we see that the bridegroom is a long time coming. And this is where the plot turns. Look at, look at verse 6. At midnight, think about that, at midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. It was already midnight when the bridegroom came. This is extremely, extremely late for the start of a wedding feast. Is it any wonder that, that all ten virgins were fast asleep? Only when the herald shouted, do they awake? But, but what do we see happening once they were awake? What is the predicament that these virgins were in now that the bridegroom was finally coming? The, the oil and the lamps of the foolish virgins was running out. Here's what you need to understand. The, the, the only distinction between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins is that the wise had prepared themselves for the possibility of a long delay. There were five who understood that the, that the bridegroom might be a long time coming. And so they planned ahead and brought the extra oil. The foolish virgins, on the other hand, didn't have the foresight that there might be a possible delay. They didn't, they didn't think that they would have to wait long for the bridegroom's arrival. 
And it's not like these girls forgot their lamps. They just did not have enough oil. They were unprepared. Now remember the context of this passage. This is still the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is still answering his disciples' question concerning the, the timing of the temple's destruction. He told them that they would not know the day nor the hour of his coming, of his judgment. And that was why they must keep watch. And it is in these parables that he, that, that he is addressing what keeping watch means. And while what we saw last week was that they needed a sense of urgency, what we are seeing today is that these disciples also need an enduring patience. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where we see the, the great hall of faith. There, the, the author regales us with tales of the saints of old. He shares with us lives that were filled with hardships. Lives of the patriarchs and the matriarchs who had to have enduring patience. Stories of Abel and Noah and Abraham. We, we hear about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We get glimpses of Moses and Joshua and Rahab. And we hear tell of the prophets. Those who suffered at the hands of their own people as they were delivering to those people the messages of God. And then in, in verse 39, the author tells us this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. These men and women lived their lives being faithful to God because they had faith in God. And yet the promise that they were truly looking for did not come in their lifetime. They would go to the grave knowing that their Messiah had not yet arrived. And yet they remained steadfast through it all. For they knew that death is not the end. And that the promises of God are certain and true. And thus their long suffering was not in vain. And in light of all of this, in light of these faithful men and women, the author of Hebrews then gives us this command. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers, sisters, 
It is in Christ that we see the ultimate example of enduring patience. He endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He weathered the painful opposition of sinful men because of his deep, deep love for you. And now you are called to fix your eyes upon him so that you might not grow weary, so that you might not lose heart. Dear friends, keeping watch means having an enduring patience. It means understanding that your Lord may tarry, that, may, that he may even not show up until after you have died. It means having a, a, a lasting faith in both the good times and in the bad. It means being in constant fellowship with your Lord as you go to him daily in both prayer and in the study of his word. It means walking in the spirit and demonstrating patience and obedience when you are faced with temptation. It also means confessing your sins when you falter. And it means living a life that is gospel-oriented, both in the exuberance of your youth and in the steadfast wisdom that comes with old age. You see, there was, there was a reason that these wise virgins could not help out the foolish ones. For how do you share a lifetime of faith-filled living with another person? You can't. The, the foresight and preparation of the one will be of no benefit to the other. And that is why these foolish virgins had to abandon their duty in the desperate, desperate hope of finding oil at midnight. Look at what happens to them. Look at, look at verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. The bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready were able to enter into the wedding feast. They were able to celebrate this triumphant occasion. They were able to share in the joy of the bridegroom. And the reason they could do so was because they had kept watch, even though he was a long time coming. They were steadfast in their duty, and because of that, they were rewarded. But what else do we see? What else does this verse say? The door was shut. A typical ploy that Jesus uses to get his point across in his parables is to create this moment of shock, a moment that is unexpected. And that moment is in these four words. The door was shut. This was not typical of a wedding feast at that time. Weddings were community events. The doors were, were opened wide so that guests could be able to come and go as they please. The fact that this door was shut indicates that the bridegroom was not happy with these foolish, foolish girls. They were now barred from the feast. They were banned from this community event and thus they would not find entrance 
Look, look at verses 11 and 12. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Their desperate cries were of no avail. For in their lack of preparation, they, they had offended the bridegroom. This is why he sells, says to them, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. This is reminiscent of something we read a while back when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Look at, look at Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This saying, I never knew you, is a form of rejection. Of course he knows them. But they had betrayed his trust. And in so doing, they had also demonstrated their hypocritical ways. You see, these five versions looked the part. They had their lamps lit. They seemed ready to welcome the bridegroom. But they were not prepared for the long delay. And that is why their flames were snuffed out. How many today look the part, but in the end will flame out? Sure, they might go to church for a season. They may claim Jesus as their Lord. But as time rolls forward, their worship of God becomes less and less frequent. But why is that the case? Why does this happen to so many? Because their priorities have little to do with the priorities of Jesus. Perhaps they get sucked into the trappings of this world. Maybe they are deceived by things such as riches and popularity. They look to find fulfillment through entertainment and other various addictions. And as time goes on, these things become more and more important to them. And Jesus becomes less and less. After a while, Christ is no longer their Lord. For they have slowly turned to these idols of their own making. But perhaps it's something else. Maybe they can't face the pressure that the world brings when a person has Jesus as their master. Whether it's a persecution like what we see today in countries such as North Korea and China, or whether it's just being the object of public scorn in the West, the, the burden becomes too much for them. And after a time, it's just easier to deny their Savior. They don't want to suffer for Jesus, and so they choose the path of least resistance. They lack endurance. Listen, when the bridegroom says, I do not know you, it is a rebuke of severe, severe consequences. 
And that was why these foolish virgins were, were pleading to the bridegroom to be let in. For they had been ostracized. They were now being treated as strangers, outsiders in their own community. And while the rest of the town was, was welcome to this wedding feast, for them the door was shut. They, they had found themselves to be cut off and left to fend for themselves. And this is how it will be in the kingdom of heaven. There will be those who will cry out, Sir, sir, open the door for us, only to find Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. And all because they lack the enduring patience that was required. Dear friends, I hope you realize that the Christian life is a life of perseverance. This isn't a sprint, but a marathon. There will be occasions filled with, with great joy, followed by periods where you will feel like even God has abandoned you. And it is during those latter moments when the wise virgins, when those who are truly his, will find the enduring patience that they will need to hold on. And the reason they can do this is because they will fix their eyes upon Jesus. They will look to the cross where they will find a comfort that they cannot find anywhere else. They will look to that suffering servant who bled and died for them. They will look to the one whom the, whom the world had rejected as he cried out with those who suffer, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? They will look to Jesus and find that after their long years of suffering, that the door has been opened to them. And it will be the bridegroom who will welcome them in with these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. I imagine that those were the words that Marie Durand heard when the doors to the, that tower were opened to her. And I can just picture the joy that she felt knowing that Christ had given to her this enduring patience that she needed to avoid saying those two simple words, or one simple word, abjure. She had stayed true to her king. She could now celebrate with him at the wedding feast. May that same enduring patience be with each and every one of you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let us pray. Father, we come to you as impatient people. We, we live in a nation that wants everything now. We like fast food and same-day delivery. We're used to the speed of the internet. And yet you have called us to something different. You have called us to have an enduring patience. You bring to us suffering and tell us to wait upon you 
to wait upon your promises. Lord, we need your strength to do this. We need your Holy Spirit that he will take our eager hearts and give them a steadfast beat. We need you to help us. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.